Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, and we're back around for a quick turnaround episode. That's what happens when you have the circumstances that we had of the previous episode and how late that was My coming about. My abdomen hurts. I can't do the show. <laughs> Uh, didn't exactly happen that way, but we're back here, uh, and it's uh, Joel and Dave joining you here for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Of course, I'm Joel Hoover, and he's Dave Brooks. You know, apparently, this we're recording this on Memorial Tuesday, so we've just yes. getting off a holiday weekend, and apparently... Rick and Nick, who have yet to do their own show, decided, by goodness, we're strapping on our boots and we're going to do this thing. And they came in ready to rock on Memorial Monday. No sound engineers. So they didn't do it. And so now it's the day after. Well, we've got things to do. I can't do it on a t- So yeah, here we the, are. The only time that worked for them was Memorial Day Monday. That was sure. it. Sure. Well, we didn't have anything going on. Well, yeah, federal holiday. No exactly. one really does other than grilling out. Yeah, so it was not. It was never going to work out for them of trying to get the personnel in here that they needed. I think they require more personnel than we do in Word order to entourage get the, comes to mind. Yes, and and their entourage, <laughs> needless to say, well, they were busy with their families on on Memorial Day Monday. Rick and Nick, well, it's movies, movies, movies with those guys, and that just was not going to fly. I don't so. understand why their entourage will have to wear fedoras. It's like the gangster mafia are walking in. Yeah, I, I get a little concerned that somebody might get dumped in the Meadowlands with those guys walking around <laughs> like that. I don't know. Oh, so, a little concerning. But with with those guys, they make me a little nervous. You know. But speaking of uh, gangsters and speaking of De Niro, we got plenty we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we really get into stuff, though, a couple things we want to touch base on. Uh, there will be spoilers ahead for one. That's Indeed. one. That's one of our things we talk about when we're talking about movies. We're talking about movies. So movies from the past. If there's a big twist, we're going to spoil it. So That's right. if you don't want to know what's not going to be happening, don't listen forward. Especially regarding actors and actresses today. Today yeah. we are really going to put the microscope on the stars and what makes them who they are. We're looking past and present today. Hey, by the way, i got to mention, we've got a sponsor for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, the Bemidji Theater. Missy and crew out there, always got to give them a great shout-out. It's a great theater experience. And I'll even give them a personal shout-out. Uh, went and saw Alien Covenant a few weeks ago, got home, we went to the late show, and I got home like midnight, no wallet. It had fallen out of my pants, it's a true story, fallen out of my pants pocket, and I'm just, it clearly was in the theater somewhere. We go back, it's one in the morning, still, they finally find this thing, they call me up, one of the, hey, we're still going to be here, we're ready to leave, but if you want to come and get it, we'll stick around for you. I mean, that was really cool of them. Uh, so great staff, good people. Great movie-going experience at the Bemidji Theater. Yes, so Bemidji Theater, proud to be sponsored by the Bemidji Theater here on Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And so appropriate. We're going to talk about these actors and actresses and great movies and great genres. Where else are you going to really go see the new ones? That's right. Before that, let's take a back step. Yes, we want to go back to last week's episode and do a follow-up a little bit on last week's episode. Now, we recorded it on Monday of last week. And we were talking about comic book heroes and superhero movies. That's right. And just a couple of hours after we had finished the recording was when the news broke regarding Zack Snyder, who is... Uh, stepping down from work on the upcoming Justice League movie and is turning it over to Joss Whedon. And the reason he is stepping down is because his family is dealing with the recent passing of uh, Zack Snyder's daughter on very sad uh, circumstances with her um, suicide. So uh, we were very sad to hear that, and we we wanted to express that here on the podcast. Um, I know we talked quite a bit about Zack Snyder on last week's show regarding his past movies that he's done within the comic book context. And I know that for many people, he's he's not been the biggest... He's love him or hate him. Yeah, he's polarizing. He, there's not been, he's not been the most well-supported director as far as the movies that he's done. We were, as we said last week, we've been very much looking forward to what is going to happen with Justice League now that he's been given a new opportunity and there's kind of a new directive at, at the top. But 
obviously that has that has really taken a back seat now with um with what's going on with his family his wife uh Deborah is also stepping away from the project as well because uh she I mean they're they're completely stepping away yeah. right now to to try and sort of uh, get get the family situation resolved a little bit just to grieve a little bit to spend some time together they they have kept this quiet for months yeah the I fact th- that this that this happened this was just a couple of months like ago March I think when it actually happened right and I think so. they both decided the way we're going to deal with it is just dive into work try to work through it that way and maybe that works for some people but apparently it wasn't working in their situation so you know the best of luck to them and completely yeah. understandable yeah we we wanted to express our sadness about that though just that that their their family is dealing with this and what a difficult time that it is for them um, and our sadness that that we're not going to get to see the Zack Snyder's project come to completion here with uh, in in what he would have wanted to see with with Justice League. I'm sure Joss Whedon's going to do his best to carry it on, but I'm certain that it won't feel exactly the same now with uh, with Snyder stepping away. But um, you know, you know it, it, there's there's a lot bigger things than how a movie does in in this particular case, and um, we definitely wanted to express that after sharing some of our critiques of Zack Snyder's work last week. We really wanted to make that. Make yeah. that apparent. You know, just one real quick thing to add in. I wonder, the movie AI, Artificial Intelligence, was a movie that was kind of started by Stanley Kubrick, and then he died. So Spielberg picked up what was left and not done and finished it. And in watching that movie, it's very Spielbergian, but it's also very much Kubrick movie. So I think something similar might happen. I don't think, and Joss Whedon had said, I'm not going to make this a Joss Whedon movie. This is a Zack Snyder movie. I'm going to follow in his footsteps and mm-hmm. finish his work. But, you know, Joss Whedon clearly knows what he's doing. He's got some fantastic uh, track record. and But um, that's just the technical end. But still, Godspeed to the Zack Snyder family. That's a tough one. Indeed. So, yeah. All right, let's move forward to positive things. Let's move forward into something brighter and sunnier. Yeah, let's get into our topic for today. And we are, we're discussing actors and actresses primarily today, which is such a broad general topic. But we, we want to talk about... What works and what doesn't with with actors and actresses? Because they are a fascinating entity within the movie realm, Dave. Because we talk about movies and we talk about these these individual pieces of work, or in some cases, franchises worth of work that that take place. I mean, last week in particular, we were discussing that with comic book movies, how they they strain together within a franchise and. Actors and actresses, they are they are the they are bit parts within that, and yet they are the gears that make those movies turn. But then there's even a larger thing than that. We just had this last week, the new Pirates of the Caribbean came out, and that's all about Johnny Depp. If Johnny Depp isn't in that movie, there is no Pirates of the Caribbean movie. His character carries it the weight of probably anybody else that's in there. Really, I thought it was Javier Bardem with this <laughs> most recent one. <laughs> this one, yeah, but you need a special little flair. It can't just be yeah. the Johnny Depp show, and then again the Johnny Depp show. Right, you need something different. But other than Jeffrey Rush, nobody other than the supporting cast really comes back. And now even Jeffrey Rush has been part of the supporting cast. Yeah. So you're either a small cog in the machine, or you are the cog that runs the machine. But they're the guys and gals that all oh, see any movie by. John Cusack, you know, and I would, I would see anything with John Cusack. Right, and the thing about actors and actresses is that sometimes people do go to the movies just for them. Sometimes yeah. movies are built around their star, or really making their star the centerpiece of how the movie is going to fare and how successful it is or isn't. That's a lot of expectation put on those actors and actresses to really come through and to make it into something that's going to be worth seeing. And sometimes. They are successful at it. Sometimes they are they they are not. But is it really all on them? Is sometimes the question. And then there are times where you've got a great movie idea and a great plan, and then you have a brilliant actor or actress who gets slid into that spot, and they make it work and they make it happen. And that's that's the best vision that you could dream of. Then you could also get the opposite, where you have a movie that's not that good, but you get a great actor or great cast and they make the work better than it would look on the page exactly so when it comes to actors and actresses dave let's start with with some of our personal favorites who really sticks out in your mind you know i'm gonna go a little old school um christopher lloyd this is the guy that played doc brown and back to the future most famously you don't see him around as much as you used to uh he's he's getting up there in age 
But you know, from all and one of the things I like about him is that, from what I understand, as a as a person, when he's not on set, he's a very shy, very reserved and soft spoken guy. Really, but then you watch these roles, and he's just manic. He's all over the place, and his eyes are wild. And you wonder where does this energy come from? Reverend Jim on Taxi, uh, Uncle Fester, and the Adams Family movies. I mean, these are manic characters, and he can play reserved too, but usually he doesn't. And some of the movies he's in captured my imagination. I think he's very nuanced. And from what I understand, he never gives the same performance twice. So as another actor working with him, you never know what he's going to do. So genuinely, you're reacting to him because you don't necessarily know what he's going to do. Right. So I'm a fan of that. You don't see him too much anymore. Maybe in retrospectives online where he's reprising the Doc Brown character. But I don't see him, his name popping up on the opening credits anymore like they used to. And I miss him. So is he your one singular when it comes to that? Or are there or are there others who there's, pop out right away? There's others. I love Kevin Spacey. I love uh, John Cusack. I love Steve Martin, especially if he's involved behind the scenes because he's also a very accomplished writer. So if he's just showing up in a movie like Cheaper by the Dozen, yeah, mm-hmm. he does a great job. Michael Caine said something about Steve Martin once. He's like a dancer. You have to film him, not just from the shoulders up. You have to film his whole body because everything is reacting to what's going on. He's like a dancer. I love the nuances, but if he gets behind the scenes and starts writing, um, he's fantastic. Yeah. So movies like Roxanne, Shop Girl, they're deeper, more introspective looks. Okay, very good. Any ladies that, that stand out Absolutely. for you as far as actresses? How could you not say Meryl Streep? you know? she you got to give credit where credit is due. Um, Meryl's got an incredible track record too. She's Meryl. Come on, she's and she seems like a genuinely cool person. If if she invited me out to coffee, heck yeah. And love her or hate her, I like Whoopi Goldberg. I do. You know whether you like her or you don't like her is irrelevant. I okay. think I think she's cool. If somebody said, "There's a Whoopi Goldberg here to see you," show her in. Angelina show, Jolie shows up, man. You can you can you can show her away. She's a little too much crazy for me. So, okay. Yeah. How about you? What do you got for your favorites? Well, Dave, as far as my favorites are concerned, I have a, a mix of past and present. You know, I, I don't know if I have one standout. I, I've got a couple who who stand out in my mind. Uh, Tom Hanks has has yeah. just shot up my my personal list over the past few years. The more movies I've watched and the more roles that I've seen him in, he is an incredible modern day utility guy. And 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 yet I say utility guy as far as roles, and I say that because. He could play just about any role, I feel like. he's He has hit such a wide swath of roles, and he does them all so extremely well and so frankly with the way that he presents the role, whether it's um, w- whether it's Forrest Gump and what went into that role, or if you, you take him in Castaway and you put him on an island with a volleyball for the majority of that movie, and yet he still Carried makes it. it so incredibly compelling. And then the the after effects of his time spent there are, are what especially grab you Not about that movie. mention the fact that he gained weight and then lost all the weight and looked yep. skeletal. I mean, that's that's pretty commitment. That's right. And then, uh, and then you factor in some of his voice work that he's done. Obviously, Toy Story comes to mind with, with that, and he's he's just hit such an incredible range, and he's such an incredible uh, actor with the way that he can portray his different roles and and the different uh, the different things he get he gets dropped into. It's just it's remarkable the way that that he just continues to go on and on and on. And just a cool the, guy. Yeah, very there's, very cool guy. There's nothing more disappointing than having an actor or actress or a sports hero, a yeah. hero. And then you meet them or you find out about their real life and you find out they're kind of a twit. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Hanks ain't that. If yeah. this story came out that Tom Hanks punched a nun, You'd be like, well, what did that nun say to Tom Hanks? Because you would never believe that Tom Hanks would just out and clock a, clock a nun. Yeah. You know, you, well, what did she say to him? You know, who could dare say something to He's Tom He's just Hanks? kind of under the radar in his public life, and he, he goes about his work. Um, yeah. Another guy who I've, I've been a big fan of is Matt Damon, and he, he has a, a pretty solid range as well. You know, when you, you factor in the first movie that he did, Goodwill Hunting, and just the kind of the kind of character that he played there, the the first big role that that yeah. I really remember him being in with Goodwill Hunting, uh, the kind of role that he played there. Then you you think about being a franchise guy with Jason Bourne and and being that that one guy in that movie and just and in those movies and 
well, with the exception of the one, and yet he's still this guy who's searching for himself, and you're kind of searching with him, and he does that well. And then he plays a completely different kind of role in movies like the Oceans movies, where he's this just kind of this this pickpocket who's trying to find his way with this group of of all star thieves, and he's trying to he's trying matter. to get a foothold, and he's trying to matter. I think it that that's a really good way to put it. And he's he's hit a really nice range of other movies that that he's also done as well. Some great, some not so great movies, but he's he's got a nice range that that he's that he's found, and he's got some pretty nice niches that he's been able to work his way into and yet and yet they're good ones and then i look back in the past um i'm starting to watch more and more of his movies but um i did like steve mcqueen in Mm. some of the movies that i've seen him in you know he had he had some solid versatility a little bit of versatility and yet it was versatility within a genre within the action genre like he he does something like the great escape and yet you can also find him in something like um, like you can also find him in yeah, the Great Escape was the the one that came to mind. I, I enjoy seeing him in that, and then you see him in something like the Magnificent Seven, where he's in more of a western, and he's got a little bit of of versatility within the action genre. But Paul Newman is a big big favorite of mine, um, and Robert Redford from that time because they they were guys who maybe they could be typecast a little bit into some certain kinds of roles, and yet they'll spring a surprise on you every once in a while, and then when they team up. It's even better. Mm. That's that's why I love movies like uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the and then Sting, and then yeah. the Sting. Yep, and then I go I go even further back. I, I do like uh, James Stewart, and uh, I mean a little bit folksy, and yet he can still surprise you in some of his roles that he does. I like Humphrey Bogart. I like Cary Grant. You know they they come to mind. And as far as actresses are concerned, Audrey Hepburn really stands yeah, out she's for one me. Of the best. I am I am such a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. She just every movie that I watch her in, she's just so captivating with her her personality. She'll just be kind of just kind of floating through the movie almost with the way that she goes about her her acting, and yet she'll grab you though in an instant with with the way that she is and it's i mean yeah just terrific elizabeth taylor was was certainly another who was was a big timer back then who was was quite good um and who's i've seen some movies of hers that that i've enjoyed seeing same with uh, rita hayworth and um and grace kelly too before she before she cut her acting career short and well, became, you're going way back yeah and, and and then uh just started to settle into her role there in Monaco. But those are, I mean, as far as some of the lady stars, those are, those were especially some of my favorite, uh, some of my favorites who, uh, who were from that time. So as far as today, I'm, I'm quite wide range as far as, um, as far as women actresses who have been, who are some of my favorites, but, um, I'm a big Emma Stone fan. She could do it. Yeah, all. Emma Boy. Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone does come to mind. She, yeah, you, she does something like like Zombieland that that she oh, does, yeah. and then and then she wins for La La Land. Yep, and then the she Oscar. goes to La La Land, and she just yeah, great the help. That was a great movie. Yeah, that was she's, great, great yeah. range for for Emma Stone and what and what she's able to do, and and definitely very enjoyable. But what is it about these stars that works, Dave? Especially that that makes them. As as good as they are for the the types of movies that they're in, and not only that, but the types of roles that they're in. You know, there's a couple of ways you can look at it. Um, you, you, if you're going to be looking at a movie from the outsider's point of view, which most of us are as the audience, we're very voyeuristic. So there's that central character that is basically what you tie on to to pull you through the story. Uh, the Luke Skywalker esque. You know, we always find our way back to Star Wars somehow. So, how are you going to understand what kind of a weird universe we're getting into? Well, we're going to give you this farm boy nobody that anybody could possibly relate to, and you're going to look at things through his eyes. So, you get a character like that. Tom Hanks is a great everyman. You know, I've never commanded a cargo ship, but watching Captain Phillips, I feel like I could, you know, because that's Tom Hanks. You've never piloted a plane, but then you watch Sully and you, you see an everyman kind of guy who had to go through a big time circumstance. Well, my dad was a pilot, so if it's hereditary. Oh, and secondly, he didn't fly the plane that long before it was down in the river. So, but that was also, I, you know, I thought it was an okay movie. I didn't think it was a great movie, but he did a good job. In the movie. That's just my opinion. Okay. But, um, you know, then there's the other ones that there's just such bravado. I can't relate to De Niro or Pacino or Jack Nicholson. These people are nothing like I am. But to watch them command the scene is, you don't see that in real life. Yep. So a lot of times you go to the movies to see things you're never going to see. 
You know, I've never seen a big building blow up like that. Well, not before 9-11, I suppose. I didn't mean to go take a dark corner. But, you know, watching something like, well, it brings up a point, though. You know, we watch Independence Day and all these famous landmarks are blowing up, you know. So that might, in a couple of years later, you saw it with 9-11. You're like, well, it was very surreal. But at the same time, I've seen things like this before. So you go to the movies to see things you've never seen before. You don't see people like Jack Nicholson in the courtroom, like a few good men, just commanding like this. It doesn't yep. happen. But when they can do it well... It's kind of neat to go see things you've never seen. Yeah, I definitely re- was reminded of a performance like that from Jack Nicholson in The Departed. He was kind mm. of the same way there in that movie, which brings together three tremendous actors there. You've got Nicholson, Matt Damon, who I mentioned earlier, who is the who plays such, such a sleazy role in there with the way that he's undercover within the police force. And then you've got a guy like Leonardo DiCaprio in there as well, who's kind of being yanked in to to do his role there and and be able to make it happen and yet he's still raging against it another great actor by the way who i didn't get to add on my list with dicaprio yeah, talking talk about a rangy guy he's got some some pretty phenomenal range including finally winning that oscar when he got it for uh for his his big time performance that the that he had being outside in in the revenant so um i yeah, you've you've got these guys who really command the screen, and they they are the big timers. And there are there are some women actresses who can definitely do that as well. Meryl Streep is certainly somebody who will command the screen when she is on there. And yet, you've also got those those personalities, those those charmers who, when they're on the screen, they just they grab you because of their charm. Olivia De Havilland comes to mind for me with that, and I'm I'm going way back with that. I was about one. to say but, that's a name. But I've, every I've heard a long every time. time I see an Olivia De Havilland movie, her just her her grace and her her presence and just her face too. They she just. Just with her her charm and her poise that she has within her roles and just that that type of personality that she had. What was she, she just, in again? She I've, just kind of floats her way through the movies. Well, she's I can't in, remember the name, but she's I'm in movies to... like The Adventures of Robin Hood. She's in there, and yet she also was willing to take on a supporting kind of role in a movie like Gone with the Wind. She was willing. That's right, she was willing yeah. to take a supporting role in there because. She felt that it would suit her and and that role, and she also felt that that Vivian Lee was going to be very suitable for being Scarlett O'Hara in that movie, and and she was willing to step into her own role, and yet, and you just you feel bad for her because she's married to Ashley in that movie, and yet you've got Scarlett over here who is pining like a, a whiny baby after Hussy. after Ashley and 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 it's and you're just like I feel bad for her because she's so sweet and and that's what you think of when you think of Olivia de Havilland she's so sweet and then you think of someone like Audrey Hepburn who commands it just with being this this personality this fun personality and you can't help in breakfast at Tiffany's as she's just kind of floating through life a little bit there you can't help enjoying floating along for the ride with her and yet you realize there's more nuance there than than I first thought, but it's cool how how women actresses had that power as well. Even in a time where they didn't get the same kind of billing or they weren't getting as much foothold as they were today and they're still working on doing today, and yet their performances were incredibly commanding for such a variance of reasons. Well, we'll talk about female actresses and talk about that range between likable and just kind of commanding. Sandra Bullock comes to mind. You know, she's been nominated for a few Oscars. She's won an Oscar. Um, and some of her roles are very just upbeat and light, you know, like Speed. It's an action movie, but she's just a lovable gal. And then she'll do something like The Blind Side. You know, she's a very good actress, but it's not exactly what I would call a lighthearted role. And other movies, yeah, like, she commands within yeah, that role. She definitely. commanded that gravity. The, uh, what was the one where she went into alcohol abuse? One hundred twenty weeks or twenty eight weeks or whatever it was. That was the zombie movie. Sorry, whatever the movie she went into alcohol rehab. That's a darker movie. Hope yeah. floats. Not exactly a feel good movie, but she's such a likable gal. You go. She's she is the female version of Tom Hanks. Their counterpart, perfectly with one another. Oh, that's a good idea. They'd be a great suburban oh, married wow. couple. Oh, wow. That would really be something. Yeah, they'd be a great – here's my pitch for a movie idea. Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock, married couple in the neighborhood. Everyone loves them. <laughs> but they secretly are the Bernie Madoffs of America, and everyone will grow to hate them. Well, you bring up a good – you do bring up a good point there, Dave, and that, that dives into a whole nother topic of conversation, and that is actors and actresses who have been – Type and put into roles that are not exactly their typecast, and yet they still 
command that role and they do an incredible job being in a role that you would not expect them to be in. I just was thinking about that and then you put a perfect segue in there and before we get in there, we want to remind you Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by Bemidji Theaters, and we are very happy to have Bemidji Theaters on board for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. How do you think we know so much about what we're talking about? We go see movies at Bemidji Theaters. Especially on a $5 Tuesday night. Absolutely. So getting into actors and actresses who are in roles not exactly typecast for them, one that came to mind for me was Henry Fonda in... Once Upon a Time in the West. That was one that came to mind because Henry Fonda was so often known, and I I love reading about Once Upon a Time in the West for this very reason, because Henry Fonda was known for being the good guy in the movies that he had been in and and was was very frequently in a lot of good guy type of movies and roles. And here he is, and he is literally wearing the black hat in Once Upon a Time in the West, and he is nasty. He is a nasty dude in the West in a very different kind of West movie for its time then. Um, sort of a closing of the door on the West and on West movies at its time from from Sergio Leone, who had just done The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and had done The Dollars Trilogy. And now here he is doing a completely different kind of one with Henry Fonda in a completely different kind of role than you would expect him in. That was what first came to mind for me when thinking about that. You know, one role, that, one guy that comes to mind immediately when you're thinking about he completely played against type to the point that it gave him an entirely new career to the point where you could barely remember the first part of his career. Leslie Nielsen, Naked Gun, Airplane. He was not a comedic actor at all. He was a very serious, dramatic actor. And then he decided, let's do something different. Airplane came along in 1980. And now, can you remember anything he was in that was not some comedic slapstick zany thing? He had a great career as a very serious actor, but on all those zany roles, Naked mm-hmm. Gun and Airplane and all the rest, he would deliver them absolutely deadpan. But yep. the things that he was saying were just so ridiculous so talk about going against type and absolutely just being wow. I mean, what a what a change around for this guy. Yeah, it's funny because I only have ever thought of Leslie Nielsen as being a comedic time kind of yeah. actor. That's really all I've ever thought of him with because it just every time I hear his name, I think of some of those zany movies that he's in. But it's not the case when you look at at some of these guys and to the fact that it reinvented him that much with with just one turnaround like that is is kind of funny. And in in, in that, he wasn't the only guy that airplane did that to. Lloyd Bridges, Jeff Bridges' dad, Sea uh, Hunt in the 1960s big TV series. He was a dramatic actor, did not really do comedy at all, and then along comes Airplane and it changed everything. I can't think of a serious role he did after Airplane. Uh, he did the Hot Shot movies and a couple others. So clearly he got into that too. But he was a big name, and not yeah. to mention a pedigree now. He's got two sons that are actors, and uh, Jeff Bridges, of course, fantastic mm-hmm. actor, Oscar winner, too. And um, So, I mean, it's, you can really see something that can come along and changes everything. I I know I mentioned the reference early—I uh, know I mentioned the Revenant earlier. Reference the Revenant. <laughs> Say that a couple times fast. And I, I talked about DiCaprio in that role and, and winning the Oscar for that. I remember when the Revenant was first being— promoted and when the first trailers were coming out and I was sort of scratching my head as to why DiCaprio was the guy who was in a frontier kind of movie like this where it was going to be super gritty I was not really sure about that I I certainly knew DiCaprio's range but I was like I don't know how well he'll fit this exactly and then he was in it and I was like wow he made it work he he sold it he committed on it and he did it to the full, to the point where filming conditions were very rough from the things I've read. And and yet he showed that he could jump into something that wasn't exactly his general cup of tea or his kind of role. And and boy, oh boy, did he hammer it home. I mean, Tom Hardy, yeah, I could see him being a rugged frontiersman. Leonardo DiCaprio, not quite so much, but he was still really, really good in it. And he, he made it work extremely well. I, I love seeing movies that, that take actors and actresses out of what their typical role would be. I mean, I know we talked about that earlier with, especially in the early days of film and, and even the golden years of film, people were generally in their own type of movie. You're not going to see Elvis in too much beyond some kind of musical, whether it's comedy or country aside, although he did get into some more serious roles a little bit later on. And he wanted to get into a few of those but you still remember some of those those actors and actresses of the time for certain types of roles, certain types of movies, certain types of genres. 
but you love seeing a twist in the plot sometimes with what they're in. And I also love a general chameleon. Somebody, you know, Meryl Streep fits this. Yeah. Whether she's a very down-to-earth, anyone could associate with her river raft guide in the river wild, or she's a sophisticant and she's just very up, you know, uppity. And yep. I believe that as much as I would believe her as a soccer mom, uh, Guy Pierce is a guy that he disappears oh, yeah. into every role you've ever seen. And you completely believe it, whether he's the bad guy in Iron Man 3 or he's the amnesiac in Memento. Um, another great one is the Count of Monte Cristo. He's a bad guy in that movie. I'm he's glad you brought up Guy Pierce. Fantastic. Yeah. He just disappears into every role. He's in the new Alien Covenant real briefly. I love him in everything. Jim Caviezel, I think, is another yeah. one who does that extremely well, who can just can just shapeshift through the different roles that they're in. But then you've got those actors and actresses who they've got the charm, and they, they kick it into overdrive with the charm. They make it work for them. Jack another, Nicholson. Another one of my favorite actors who, who I didn't get on the list, but he is absolutely on there, is Will Smith. Yeah. He, he's another guy who, 90s, 2000s, he would use it. He, you know, he could definitely take his charm, and he can take a movie over. Hitch was definitely like that. Um, even in Independence Day, he still carves out a, his own specialty role within that because of the charm that Will Smith brings to the table and and the the power that he was starting to really elevate to in the movies at that time. And then yet he's got those powerful roles as well that he can that he can hit you home with, whether it's Pursuit of Happiness or Seven Pounds. He he's got those power roles that he can be in as well. But he's he's a charm kind of guy. George Clooney is definitely a oh, charm yeah. and suave kind of guy who will take you through those. Julia Roberts is kind of like that too, I think. You know, she's got she's got this charm about her and this way about her. I mean, super charming. Her and Hugh Grant, two very charming people in something like Notting Hill they'll take it over because they're like that well you get a Meg Ryan and a Tom Hanks how many movies oh, together Meg did they Ryan. do oh man yeah she's, she's all but dropped off the earth now too but you know for a long time how many movies together did they do they were the two most charming guys and gals that there ever was they did three or four yeah they ruled the 90s really when, oh, when yeah. it came to rom-coms yeah well to the point where Joe versus the volcano horrible movie by the way but Tom Hanks did a great job, very lovable as always, and Meg Ryan did three different roles in that one movie. Yep. I mean, it was they they were a great team. They were the Spencer Tracy and uh, they were the Bogey and Bacall of their era. Yeah, we'll a, put it that way. Which is kind of it, it almost seems a little funny to say that because Bogey and Bacall that was big time back in the day. But the best day modern day equivalent I think would be Ryan and Hanks, just like Abs- that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, there was another guy who came to mind with uh, when we were talking about the um, the ability to shape shift a little bit, and and yet still a powerful kind of person. Denzel Washington, oh yeah, big time oh, with the yeah. way that he's able to command a role. He it's not often you find him in a role that doesn't really work for him because boy, can he take a movie over? I mean, whether you saw him come up with Saint Elsewhere, good doctor role, and then all of a sudden he pops up as an escaped slave that joins the Civil War in glory. Uh, which he won an Oscar for, by the way. I mean, that right there is a huge jump. And that was right off the bat. And everything since then, Denzel has delivered. Even if the movie has been less than great, yeah, he's a shining star in it and has made good movies better and made bad movies good. And that's another part maybe to bring up. Well, let's get into that now. Bad movies featuring good actors and actresses. That's that. It's kind of tough for us sometimes when we leave the theater and we've just seen an actor or actress that we really admire and we really like. And we go, they were in that movie? They were in that movie? Or that was so disappointing. I, You, you almost want to turn away in shame and say, oh, I wish I, I wish I hadn't seen them in that. Because it's like they were they were really just in that. But actors and actresses, they, they get into those kinds of movies all the time. Or for various reasons. I know money certainly talks quite a bit with that. But... Sometimes these things are really out of their control. I mean, you know, certainly I think of, about Halle Berry, and we've mentioned this before when we talked about some of the worst movies of all time, and we we talked about Catwoman. Halle Berry, when she accepted her Golden Razzie, she knew it was a bad movie. She knew it was terrible. She she clearly was aware of that, and yet there she was, and she was accepting this award for a movie that clearly, I, I don't know if she would... It clearly seemed like she didn't know what she was getting herself into fully, but at the same time, you wonder if she did. 
Well, there's, but you got you can't you have to talk about it in context too. Sometimes you know a movie. You're looking at the script. Really, we're going to do this? Well, fine, I'll do that. You know it's going to be a bad movie from the get go. And other times it looks good, but it's a collaborative process. And being an actor is just one ingredient in the gumbo. And if you get a director that doesn't mix it well, or this is wrong, or that's wrong, you can take what could be a good movie and it becomes a bad movie. So when you get committed to it, there's every reason it could be a good movie. And there was talk that Catwoman, you know, maybe it could have been a good movie, but it turned out to be so over-the-top campy that it turned into be something straight-up horrible. What do you think Clooney was thinking when he saw what was coming for Batman and Robin, You know, for instance. Yeah. But there's an example where the one that had come out before that, Batman Forever, you had Val Kilmer as Batman, and it was a good movie. It changed the tone from what the others had been, from something dark and brooding to something much more comic bookian, if you want to make that a new word. And so you had pretty much a lot of the same cast returning. You had the same people behind it. Joel Schumacher directed both of them. And then it went off the rails completely. You know, So it worked for Val Kilmer. Sure, why not? And it really didn't work out the next time. And no. I, everyone puts the blame on Clooney. I don't think you can. You know, I think the whole movie was so campy and hokey, and I think Clooney played that up in the role. But the whole thing, the one-liners that Schwarzenegger was coming up with, and, and Poison Ivy, uh, exactly, was, yeah, that movie was a was a bomb from get to go. But then you talk about movies where I'll give you a good example: um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Now, in one of those movies, it was the very first movie that Renee Zellweger ever did and uh, Matthew McConaughey, the same one. Uh, It was one of their first roles. They were just going to take whatever role they could get. And it just so turned out that that became synonymous with them because then they turned out to be, both of them, Oscar winners. Yeah. So now it's kind of gotten that. But then you look at, say, Dennis Hopper. He was an Oscar winner, and he fell on some real hard times. And as he's trying to make his comeback, he would take whatever role he was given, and one of those was a Texas Massacre movie. So, you know, why did they do the roles? They they were all in kind of trash movies, if you look at it that way. They were all either trying to get a start or trying to make a comeback, and they'll right. take what they can get. Yeah, that's that's a great point to bring up, Dave, is, is sometimes you do have to just get what you can and be able to run with it, make it work. You have to carve out your niche within that movie and that's that's what a lot of these these actors and actresses work through just to be able to get into the roles that they're in we got to bring up being able to do that and we got to bring up the one we were talking about before off the air was um the adventures of rocky and bullwinkle it's a bad dumb movie it's a kid's movie you got to understand but the big guy that was in that was robert de niro yep you think about robert de niro prior to say 2000 you're thinking The Godfather, you're thinking Casino, you're thinking Midnight Run. And then here comes a big left turn with Rocky and Bullwinkle. And you got to think, and maybe he even did an interview where he said as much, but you got to think. You know, he's got kids. Is he, what's he going to show his kids? Well, Daddy's an actor. Show me what you do. What's he going to show him? The Godfather? You know, you can't show that to a 10-year-old or whatever. So he made a kid's movie so that his kids could see him. And you knew it was schlocky. Because he was doing an impression in the movie. He plays a, the bad guy, the German guy, uh, or Russian guy, Boris, or whatever his name is. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. And he's doing a take off of his famous line right. from Taxi Driver in this thick, are you talking to me? Well, there's nobody here, so you must be talking to me. He had to know that it was just schlock, but he was doing it, I would assume, for his kid. We've heard that many times before from actors and actresses who have said that they do certain roles because they want their kids yeah. to be able to see it. So you can absolutely understand that. Even if the movie maybe isn't quite as good, you can understand it. Dave, I, I have a, a general question that I think maybe okay. can help tie this this topic of actors and actresses together a little bit. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by Bemidji Theaters as well. Bemidji Theaters sponsoring us here with the podcast. And you can find all of our podcasts at paulbunyanbroadcasting.com. Dave, when, when we look at actors and actresses, how do you think that they have changed over the time that film has developed? We've we've referenced the golden age of film a little bit. We've we've delved a little into the 60s, 70s, 80s, and now here we are in the present day. How do you think actors and actresses have changed in the way that they present their roles over time? I don't think they have changed their craft. I think the craft in some ways has changed around them. Um, and I think a good example of this is, again, we always go back to Star Wars, Episode One: The Phantom Menace. You have some great actors in there, and some of them did well, some of them did not do so well. Liam Neeson did a great job. Ewan McGregor did a good job. 
Natalie Portman, not so much. I'll give you a good example. Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp, you might remember, the bad guy in Superman 2. Uh, he was in Yes Man. He was a, a British sophisticant, but he does good, good work. He's a very good actor. And then you see him in The Phantom Menace, and he's extremely wooden. He's very stiff, and he's just talking like this, like there's just nothing there, very robotic. Well, when they filmed him, he was in a room all by himself. You know, here's a tennis ball on the wall. Look at that. That's the, where the eyes will be for whoever you're going to talk to. And then they inserted him into the role. Some people, some actors, they're very talented actors, but they're not used to working with nobody and nothing. There's no props, no other actors. Just deliver your lines. Pause, because that's when the actor that's not actually in the room is going to deliver their lines. And then you respond to something that there's really nothing there to respond. So some actors and actresses, they can work with that. And some are better than others. Because it's not that their craft has changed, it's that the medium has changed. I think as great an actor as, say, Spencer Tracy was, if you if green screen work existed during his day, you wonder if some of those movies would have been any good, if he would have been able to react well to the monster that wasn't actually on set, you know? So I think it's that. I don't think that the craft has changed as much as the medium. I think that's a good way of looking at it, and a very important topic and factor of how green screen has changed things and CGI has changed things and it, it is difficult it is different to be to have to go through that type of acting these days you have to be a completely different kind of actor or actress you have to really get into that particular kind of setting when you have to be within that some have been able to do that and they've made a career out of it look at Andy Serkis and oh, the yeah. way that he's been able to make a career out of all that has come with those types of features. And yet, there are some other ways in which the, the movies have changed that then actors and actresses have changed with it. I, I think movies today are a lot more, have a, have a more realist kind of touch, and that's that's required very gritty acting these days. Uh, there's, there's a lot more gritty acting that goes on these days. The comedy is a bit sharper. The, the realistic movies that, and portrayals that we see today... They are they are more nuanced than ever. Indie films have have carved out their own niche. You can a lot of people like to be involved in passion projects these days. You know, I, I'm seeing actors and actresses who are actually beginning to to create a bit of a revival as far as sharing screen and stage time and doing a bit more of that. There there is a wide range of if you make it as far as acting these days. You can become whatever kind of actor or actress that you would really like to be. You just have to kind of make it within your role. But if you do, and if you make it big time, which of course is the challenge, you can become what whatever sort of actor or actress that you want to be. You can you can hop on the stage. You know, if you make it in in some some big time movies, you can get on the stage as well and and supplement that to your movie career. You can become a a comedy only kind of person and and just go that direction. You can be a genre based person. Back in the day, I, I think actors and actresses were almost they they were kind of handicapped to not only were they handicapped to certain studios. I mean, they they had to be with certain studios, but also certain other actors and actresses. I mean, loaning between studios was was a common practice back in the day with them, and you would get tied to a certain studio. You'd get tied to certain projects. And yet, as time went on, I think during that golden age, they they started to find ways to be able to open up their horizons a little bit more. But I don't know if it was quite as nuanced back in the day as far as what you could do and the roles that you could do. They still find found ways, though. And yet, there was there was a certain charm and style that that actors and actresses had back then that I think isn't quite the same nowadays because of the realism that we're getting in the movies today. So. There are things that have changed that have been for the good. There are other things that have changed that have maybe that maybe we look back on with the the actors and actresses that we see in older movies, and we say, "I wish there was a bit of that in today's movies." So it's funny how, with the morphing of movies into something a bit more realistic today, there's good and bad that comes with it. Well, and like I said, I don't to add on to that point. I don't, like I said, it's not that the craft is changing, but the medium is changing, and the biggest medium shift lately is that it used to be that you were a TV actor or you were a movie actor, and it was very rare that you were doing both. People like Michael J. Fox would do both. Family Ties was big, Back to the Future, and started a big movie career and would still do some TV. Um, but now that's changing. You know, there get a lot of big-name actors that never did a TV show are now doing TV shows, 
and not just on the networks, but now you've got streaming services. You've got Kevin Spacey and House of Cards. You've got The Walking Dead, and it's becoming much more serialized. You've got uh, cable TV shows like Mad Men and The Sopranos. You know, these were some heavy-hitting shows that we wouldn't see before. And so it's not necessarily changing their craft, but the medium is really changing. And a lot of deeper, more nuanced performances you're going to see on those more anthological TV shows like... Um, True Detective Detective, came to mind because that's the show that's changed its cast each season. Fargo, same way. But that because it's a different cast each season, um, American Horror Story as well, that allows for actors and actresses to come in for that particular season, and they can be a part of that. I mean, but then there's things yeah. like American Horror Story. Jessica Lange, she was in it for the first four years, and every year is a different story. And every time she would do it, she played a different character. So this wanted her to do it. So after four years, she's done. But I think, um, but she did a fantastic job. So you're starting to get much more nuanced things. So performers aren't delivering the scripts for more exposition to move the two-hour story ahead. That that's all there is. The more nuanced work is starting to show up now on these bigger ideas for a TV show. Hannibal, you know, didn't get great response in the ratings, but it was a fantastic oh, show. Oh, yeah. Great show. Yeah, and, th- and that had a movie actor as yeah. its main guy, Hannibal, Mads Mixelin, in, in just that, that same way. So. I think it's I think it's worth pointing out that nuance in role is bigger than ever with actors and actresses. And yet we look back at these these people who were maybe a little more typecast back in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. And yet we can appreciate them within their typecast role because every time they found a way to make that role a little bit different in a time where maybe variety wasn't quite as great in the movies that they were in, but they still found a way to be able to carve out some nuance within their roles and their characters that they would often play. And each one would be a little different, but it would cater to the best of their traits. Think about Cary Grant and the best of of what he was as far as this dashing kind of guy who also had a dry bit of wit. He did it a different way each movie and a, a different way with each character in the movies that he was in. And that's uh, that's, I think, what's worth appreciating about those who were the stars of of that time. Let me throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Um, I think what we've talked a lot about are actors that they've been around for a long, long time, whether they're just getting started like the Emma Stones and she'll be around for a long time, to people that have been around a long time and now they're starting to wrap it up, like the Jack Nicholsons. I can't remember the last time I've seen him in a movie. Uh, and that may be a whole Is other that topic. Lakers games more often? <laughs> when they were good, so maybe not going to <laughs> Lakers so often. But you know, then there's the other part. People that weren't the biggest stars, but at the time, for a short little flash in the pan, guys like Sean William Scott, Stifler from American Pie, you don't see him around anymore. His career, arguably, kind of washed up. Will he make a comeback, perhaps? It's possible. And by the way, you got to give him a shout-out, because he's a Minnesota boy. Uh, if you didn't know that, he's from Cottage Grove, down in the Twin Cities. Of course. If you didn't know that. You know, but Had to throw that in, Oh, for a long time, though, he was the man. I mean, go back to the 80s, William Zabka. Who's that? He was always the bad guy. He was the bad kid and the karate kid. He was the uh, competitive diver in uh, Back to School. He was in just one of the guys. He was always the bad guy. And he had actually spoofed that in How I Met Your Mother and became kind of a cool guy. So is there maybe a flash-in-the-pan kind of actor or actress who their part was short-lived as far as career span? But made an impact, whether they played a niche character like both of these folks did, and that generally tends to be the case. If they had wide, wide range, they probably would have been a Tom Hanks, who started out with bosom buddies and was just kind of a comedic guy, and now has really expanded on himself. Exactly. I love, though, seeing the way that people can fill the different roles that they get fit into. That's part of what makes actors and actresses in, in incredible to watch within these movies much like what we talked about at the beginning is that movies are their own large all-encompassing entity and yet these people who populate the movies they're carving out a niche within that movie they're carving out what they do within that movie and with all the movies that they are in and it's fascinating every time to watch what they bring to the table yeah and you know we touched base on it real quick um 
they come, they go. You know, we've got the newcomers like Emma Stone, and I think even though he's a comedic actor, he does some good things. I am interested to see what is going to continue to happen with guys like Matthew McConaughey, where people thought he was just a pretty boy, and then yeah. he does Dallas Buyers Club and loses a bunch of weight to play an AIDS victim and wins an Oscar What's for What's going to happen with a guy like Miles Teller, who's yeah. come on the scene here as of late, or Adam Driver, who's really starting to become big here lately. Jonah Hill, he's a comedic actor, but he can do some serious stuff if he doesn't torpedo himself. Uh, guys like Shia Felicity, LaBeouf. Felicity Jones as well. Yeah. She comes to mind. Oh, of course she comes to mind for you, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I liked her a lot in Rogue One. She was great. Yeah, but she's been in some really good stuff. Uh, yeah. the, the theory of everything was where she really was able to get onto the big scene yeah. then. Well, and you know we've got a lot of those up-and-comers, and like I touched on, we're starting to see the passing of the torch from a great, great generation. Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, they're both alive, well, and kicking, but they haven't done a movie in almost 20 years. They've just kind of straight up retired. They're doing other things. Um, so we're not seeing them anymore. These are great, great actors. Um, and he only makes a movie every once every 30 years, it seems like. Warren Beatty disappearing. He just had a movie come out not long ago um, playing Howard Hughes. But, you know, when will be his next movie? Will there be a next movie? Because he's getting up there. Redford is saying he's getting ready to retire. Mm. And we've lost guys like, um, um, oh, who just died not long ago? Roger Moore went. Just last week, James, yeah. James Bond. Uh, we've lost a few others, too. You know, Paul Newman is gone. You know, and, you know, Spencer Tracy, gone. Been gone a long time. Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, they're gone. Um, you know, the Hepburns, both of them gone, you know, we're, we're losing some, a great generation and that's the way of things. So we're losing a group and they might be going down as you could say what you want about the golden age, but I think the sixties and seventies and into the eighties some fantastic. When have you seen Deborah Winger lately? You know, you never see her anymore. She's fantastic. What is that next generation going to do to to carry on from those gone by? You know what's what's going to happen as other actors. You know, think of Harrison Ford and all yeah. that he's done and the range of work that he's done. What happens when that torch gets passed? That is what's always fascinating to watch with what's to come. And what is the new generation? going to look like so that will be the thing to watch this has been rick and nick talk flicks it is sponsored by the bemidji theaters i'm joel hoover i'm dave brooks make sure you join us next week and uh you know rick and nick they're not even showing up today they're all kinds of busy so i think we're just kind of done for the day no more holidays for a little while though so they've got no excuse we'll see in a couple weeks time if they'll be back around no they're going to show up for fourth of july we were here guys and you guys were recording sure show. sure uh-huh. okay sure. of course we'll we'll wait and see if they end up doing that or if they're busy i don't know putting on a, a live stage performance for the fireworks <laughs> show somewhere some puppet master show i guess all right we'll talk to you next time thanks on- for joining us you guys on Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We'll see you at the movies.